Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. You're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And a happy new year. Gemar Chasimatova to everybody. A, a good kvittel, depending on what language we're talking about. I uh, hope everybody's uh, holidays are going well. But uh, politics rages on here in the U.S. and in Israel, I might add. But uh, only got a couple minutes this morning just to kind of talk through the big I word, the big impeachment word, and also a note about what's going on in the Middle East, because I think these are important facts. All our guest hosts are off this week. Everybody is spread out to the four corners of the earth right now um, in anticipation of the Sukkot holiday. But I got to tell you, politics uh, just goes on and we must we must talk about it. Very, very fascinating strategy as to what uh, the White House is doing with regard to impeachment. Quite the opposite, of course, of our last impeachment situation with uh, Bill Clinton, just the way that things are set up. And I think, as usual, everybody is trying to catch up to where the president is. That means his allies and his adversaries are trying to catch up to where he is. You do see, or at least I do see, I should say, I don't want to assume that anybody else sees it. But I do see some political genius in this once again. And the political genius really comes in essentially just breaking all the rules as Donald Trump has done, I think throughout his career and certainly continues to do as president. And everybody else is kind of scrambling to try and figure out what is he doing? What is his strategy? And what's the end game, essentially? And I think that we are headed for really uncharted territory, certainly uncharted constitutionally, as to how the Congress is going to handle impeachment of a president who essentially will not cooperate and, well, isn't willing to play by the rules of the Constitution. Now, in fact, the president is kind of flipping that around and saying the Congress is not following the Constitution and so on and so forth. But first, a note about the Middle East and the big story this week and the interesting politics that are going on behind that story. Uh, first and foremost, as everybody um, out there who follows politics is probably thinking, and many people within our community, within this world of that we live in here, the listeners of the Nachum Siegel Network, are probably thinking to themselves... Why exactly is the United States giving a green light to Turkey to invade Syria and essentially cede the territory and cede the opportunity and cede the endgame in Syria to the Turks, to Iran, to Russia, to the Syrians, meaning the Syrian government of Assad, and undermine and abandon our longtime allies, the Kurds? So this is actually so fascinating, and I think we see to a certain degree how things have changed with regard to this administration since the departure of John Bolton in a number of ways, and I don't think this would have happened on Bolton's watch. And perhaps we'll hear from him, perhaps we won't on this issue. We Maybe we're going to hear from Jim Mattis, although it doesn't seem like he's keen on commenting with regard to to goings-on, even though he resigned essentially over the last time the president had said that he was going to withdraw U.S. troops 
from Syria. And that was when he resigned from as Secretary of Defense. We see that some people do have red lines. But I want to put a couple things together because these are a little bit alarming. Number one, I don't know what the president's ultimate goal here is. I know the endless war idea that it seems to be, it plays very well in certain Republican circles and plays well in, in Democratic circles. Uh, the idea of endless war out there that our troops have been out there too long for too long. We've won the fight with ISIS. It's time to move on. Well, in a sense, this is exactly the type of conflict and exactly the type of war that the United States should be wanting to prosecute. A very light footprint, special forces out there advising our allies. Enough of a presence that people like the Turks are not going to attack our allies. And it gives us strategic leverage in whatever happens in Syria. It's not essentially an endless war. It's not like Afghanistan and Iraq, where our troops are in harm's way and are being attacked and are in active, what they call kinetic conflict. That's not what's going on in Syria. And it's been successful. And that footprint has actually been very successful. But for the Rand Pauls of the world and others out there, they don't see much of a purpose towards being in Syria. And I hate to say it, but once again, you know, we're playing into Russia's hands here and Russia's interests, particularly, and in this case, Iran's interests, which is kind of funny given the bellicosity that we've had with regard to Iran and this administration has had with regard to Iran. And that seems to be softening as well. But there's a lot at stake in Syria and the future of Syria and what happens eventually to Syria. And the idea that, okay, let's just, we had a purpose, we had a mission, let's defeat ISIS, let's go ahead, wave the flag and move on. But of course, ISIS doesn't go away. ISIS is an ideology as much as a army. And it can't just be eradicated on the battlefield. It has to continue to be vigilant, just like terrorism. But this strange article that comes out in townhall.com, which the president quoted, as saying that the Kurds were not with us at Normandy. Now, when I read that after Yom Kippur, I was astounded because <laughs> it's, well, I don't, I, I don't know exactly this idea that, well, the Kurds are not really our allies in a true sense, not in the true sense of our allies. You know, they are guys who have this grudge against the Turks to settle and the like. But I can't help but thinking that somebody is feeding the president some of these points and going over to this, and that somebody perhaps once again could be Rudy Giuliani, who has the Turks as a client, or Michael Flynn, who has the Turks as a client, and this idea that this is just a regional grudge match where the United States should not be intervening and Turkey can be relied upon to go in, in there and be a counterweight and fulfill the U.S. interests in Syria. That's assuming, of course, that Turkey's interests are our interests, but that hasn't been the case. Even though Turkey is a NATO ally, they have bought materiel and arms from the Soviets 
uh, they have become an increasingly authoritarian state. And Turkey in general has warmed up to Russia and Iran against U.S. interests. And this idea of moving towards this Rand Paul view of the world where now we have some conservatives, so the conservatives out there, the Rand Pauls and his people out there saying this is what the president wanted to do. We got to bring the boys home. I don't even know if these soldiers are actually coming home who were there. But in and of itself, it's a very troubling development that the United States is not standing by their allies. And this comes on top of the fact that the United States did not retaliate against Iran for the attack on the oil refineries a couple weeks ago, which is very clear that this was a coordinated attack on the world oil supply. And the United States has been pledged to defend Saudi Arabia for many years. And once again, it's like the red line. I think we are very appropriate to criticize Barack Obama for not having his red line with with Syria. And this is the second time. Well, the first time was a drone strike against a uh, shooting down of a United States drone by Iran several months ago. And the United States didn't do anything. And now we have a situation where the United States sat by as Saudi Arabia, our ally, was attacked. So everybody has to recalibrate as to what the situation now is in the Middle East. Are we going to continue to promote that Sunni axis that's friendly to Israel, that feels that Iran is the is the regional threat? Or are we going to allow rapprochement between Shia and Sunni with the balance of power headed towards Iran and all that that entails and probably may, unfortunately, necessitate some Israeli reaction in the near future. These are troubling signs that we have, and I think it's a general a lack of coherent policy that we've seen, particularly with regard to the turnover of national security staff, national security advisors, and just the general distrust that you see from the White House with regard to the advice that he gets from inside, the president seems to favor outside advisors and people who talk to him or the Fox News and the conservative websites and media over the people inside. I don't know how you would come to quote this townhall.com article about the Kurds not being in Normandy. It really... (laughs) And look, I appreciate a lot of the things the president has done in the Middle East. In fact, I applaud a lot of the things that the president has done in the Middle East. I think that they've been fantastic and generally positive. This is not one of them. This is very troubling. And it just seems so simplistic to turn around. I mean, there are a lot of nations who were not with us in Normandy. Saudi Arabia wasn't there with us either. Kuwait wasn't there with us either. The Emirates weren't there with us either. There are a lot of people, Egypt, Israel. I mean... (laughs) Who knows? Who's next? Which nation that wasn't with us in Normandy is now next for kind of abandonment as a U.S. ally? And does the United States actually stand by its commitments? This has been an issue. This has been an issue before when the president refused to say whether he would come to the defense of a NATO ally, like, say, with the Baltic states or Montenegro or some of these other ones were attacked or invaded, and he seemed to be unsure. So 
that's point number one and something we definitely need to sit up and think about. Now, of course, that can change very quickly. The president uh, said that he had certain red lines here that if Syria, uh, that if Turkey crossed them, he would obliterate their economy. We'll have to see if that happens. But all this is coming against the backdrop of impeachment and what's going on. And I have to say, despite the brazenness of it, I think it's quite clever what the White House has essentially done here. They've decided they will not cooperate with the impeachment inquiry. They call it illegitimate. And they say that they're not giving the opportunity to present their side. Now, remember, impeachment is essentially like an indictment. It's like a grand jury. And in the grand jury process in the United States, there's not officially, there's not the great amount of due process. The prosecutor presents their side. There is no defense side that comes in there. Might be a flawed system, but that's essentially how it is. The trial itself happens in the Senate. So the House isn't really required to present the other side. They're required to present their side. And it's not clear that they actually need a vote. And I don't even understand why you'd want to put Republicans in the situation to have a vote on impeachment to vote because there doesn't seem to be, we don't seem to know what the facts are. We don't seem to know, they're not allowing hearings, they're not allowing witnesses, the president isn't allowing them to appear. Now, if the information itself is so damning, then I think that don't let it get out there. And I think what's going on right now is a situation where the the support for impeachment, even in a Fox News poll that was released this morning, more than 50% people support impeachment and removal, which is actually a, a steadily climbing number. But if the president makes this about an illegitimate process, that the articles of impeachment are entirely about obstruction of justice, and there are no hearings that go along with this these issues of quid pro quo and misuse of power and abuse and et cetera, and we don't actually get into the substantive issues, just like the Mueller report, obstruction of justice itself doesn't sell. It doesn't play. And I don't think it played with most people out there. Now, this could be different. We could actually have to air some of these. I mean, Mueller was a closed report, and you know he followed the letter of the law, and he followed the book. And I think that's where a lot of people fell a lot of expectations fell short. But this idea here that they, the problem is that the White House is essentially, and the president is essentially daring the Democrats to impeach him. But he doesn't, he can't possibly want to be impeached. There are only three impeached presidents out there. So we're kind of, I think we're kind of wavering out there. I'm sorry, there are two. There's one of them resigned in advance, so it was Nixon. And it doesn't seem to me like pre- President Trump would want this to happen, but he's basically daring the Congress to do it, you know, as he's done many times with his brinksmanship, and it's generally worked out for him, both before he was president and as president. I think the one time it hasn't, or a couple times it has, but you know, it was with regard to the government shutdown, eventually lost support. But the one thing you do run is the risk that Republicans in the Senate will start defecting. I mean, who knows? It's, it's unclear. I mean, we can think of at least five that might turn around and now, and you don't, five can become 10, and 10 can become 15, and 15 can become 17, and who knows what happens when it, when it comes out there. It's a little bit of rolling the dice if you want to do that. I mean, maybe they just feel that there's no way you're going to get a fair hearing here, and so therefore, any good lawyer attacks the process. Don't attack the facts, attack the process, and that's what's going on here, and I think it's it's clever because... Essentially, what the president has done is cast this as similar to all the attacks that have 
gone on against him, many of them patently unfair. And perhaps this is just the way that he speaks. This is just the way that he talks. This is just the way that he expresses himself. Why did he bring up Joe Biden? Well, he can't help himself because he focuses on his enemies. And here we have a clear case of wanting to him very, very focused on Ukraine as part of this big Russian conspiracy or the Russia conspiracy against him to delegitimize and upend his presidency. And, you know, that's certainly the case. And I think there's been a lot of exaggeration when Adam Schiff, you know, months and months and months ago went on TV and turned around and said that there's the Mueller investigation is essentially a slam dunk and the Russia investigation is essentially a slam dunk. And we've seen evidence of criminality and nothing comes about. Now, partly that is because that wasn't what Mueller was looking for because he couldn't actually indict. And who knows what well, those questions are kind of left unanswered, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It matters what Adam Schiff said and kind of what he guaranteed and then didn't deliver. And, you know, we're kind of going to round two of that. And that's, you go ahead and attack that. And, you know, Schiff made a huge blunder, huge, massive blunder from PR, from every perspective, for going ahead and parodying that transcript because it was totally unnecessary. And I, I sometimes I can't figure out why the Democrats can't shoot straight. The Republicans are relentlessly on message here. Uh, most of them, I mean, particularly the House Republicans, relentlessly and smartly on message. And they're going to continue to attack this process as best as possible. The problem is, of course, is that you don't know when you're in this kind of situation, you don't know what the president is going to tweet on a given morning. And his focus on Joe Biden and Hunter Biden making money is something obsessive, I think, to a certain degree. I mean, nobody is out there saying, and there's no law, and it might be unseemly, and I think it's cronyism, insiderism, but lots of people out there have their kids and their relatives making money when they are in office. It's happened before, and it's going to continue to happen. And guess what? It happens in the Trump family as well. And it just is what it is. That's part of the system. And you want to say the rig system and the game system and everything, but that is essentially what we live with. So we don't know where we're going with this, and we'll have to see know how it's going but right now the tack that the white house is taking their war footing is essentially saying we will not cooperate we're not going to do anything this is an illegitimate process despite the fact that it seems pretty clear that the house has total discretion as to how they want to go about impeachment and they might very well take a vote and do that but the drip 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 of information is probably going to continue and we will have to see how that plays out and how that continues to uh, play out. The one big wild card here, I think, is our former mayor, meaning Rudy Giuliani, who I think the misdirection on Giuliani's part and just being unable to pin him down on anything benefits the president. But overall... <laughs> His verbal missteps, or at least you want to call it missteps, maybe it's part of a coherent strategy, I'm not sure, kind of hurt the cause pretty much every time he opens his mouth. His hearing before the House, the Senate Judiciary Committee is going to be quite interesting because he has a propensity to say just about anything that he feels that 
you know, comes to mind. So we will see. To be determined, to be continued after the Sukkot holiday here on the Nachum Siegel Network. This is Spin Class Politics with Michael Fragan. We will see you in two weeks. Thank you.